Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. We're here, you're here, and that's awesome. You're listening to Awesome Etiquette, which is shout it to the sky while jumping up and down proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. Dan, can we please talk about please? Yes. Okay, because I've (laughs) noticed something, and I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm being too sensitive. You can, maybe I've had too much turkey. I don't know. You can let me know. But I have noticed that, okay, obviously you you can say please to different, could you please do that? And that doesn't sound very nice, but, you know, Dan, could you please maybe get me a cup of coffee? Like, Oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah, right? Like, that's a little nicer. But when... So so when someone says please, 99% of the time it comes out great and it makes me feel good to hear it, that sort of thing, all the stuff that we teach and preach. But I've noticed that when I get a text message or an email that says please in it, that I automatically defer it to a negative please. So like if someone texts me like, you know, could you take care of this please? The please comes out like please when I read it. Now, that's me interpreting it. It's not them writing it. I have no way of knowing what they actually intended with the word please when they wrote it. But it's driving me nuts. Why has my magic word become not magic in my head? (laughs) I wish I knew. (laughs) I wish I had a good answer for you. No, and it's but I I particularly like the way you're approaching. It's a question of tone. And oftentimes we say sprinkling your communication, particularly written communication with pleases and thank yous is a good way to to give it a more positive tone, to turn demands into asks or requests, to 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 acknowledge appreciation and show thanks. At the same time, what what happens when a relationship has deteriorated a little bit or you don't even have the standing to say please? And that's a really tough question. And what I do you think mean it, you don't have the standing to say please. Tell me about that. Well, I don't understand that. Where, where if someone if you were to say please, someone's going to think it's disingenuous. Oh, okay. Or so what I'm experiencing right it's now. Insincere. Okay. And and Boy, that could that can be tough. I think that it, to me, it's an indication that maybe the relationship involved needs a little repairing. Okay. Or there's a version of this question that I've I've heard in the business world where someone will say, you know, I, it just sounds disingenuous to me when I write it. I don't want to put please in in my professional emails. Totally. And I think it's a valid question. I oftentimes challenge that person to say, is please something that you would never say in in 
in person, in real life, if you were face to face with someone, would it surprise them to hear please or thank you from you? And if that's the case, if it's going to come across in your written communication as insincere, I think you've got a little work to do because I want those tools at my disposal. And I think most people do. But the I tools think you, being the magic words. Yeah, yeah. But you raise for me, which is one of the, the you raise one of the most fascinating questions, which is that where is the magic in a magic word? And it really does come from your intention, your sincerity, the degree to which you're believable as someone who is but kind. The part we never talk about is that it also comes in the the receiving the interpretation. Ear. Like it it's the recipients, it's how that person is gonna hear it. Because I have I mean, these are people I have decent relationships with. You know, this is not like my yeah. my biggest enemy in the world, you know? Yeah. And I'm interpreting their um being so careful with my pronouns on this one. I'm interpreting <laughs> their um their pleases as negative and as like disingenuous and patronizing or or just like you know you know when you get that feeling like someone put please into it just to be polite but you're like yeah that's still what you're asking or the way you're asking it still isn't polite the please doesn't make it polite Mm -hmm. it really is in how you say it and in making it sound believable because if you rattle off 10 dramatic things and then and then end it with a please or start it with a please I I don't know. I I kind of feel like maybe that request, the please doesn't give it the sincerity or the ease that it could. I I think you're onto something. I think you're you're and as is often the case, you're answering your own question the best. And that's the the rest of the message does matter (laughs) that the please alone isn't going to fix it. So it's not just your intention, their intention. It's also the thing itself. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, I really want you to give me everything that you own, please. <laughs> yeah. Extreme example, but a good example. Well, I will work on on not being so judgmental with my interpretations, but I will ask for all of our wonderful listeners out there to please be careful with your please and make sure you are truly using it nicely. <laughs> should we get to some questions? I think we should. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn. But it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And one trend that we are starting to hear from our listeners, which I think is so much fun, is that they are starting to guess at answers before we actually answer them to see if they then get them right. And I just, we had our listener write in about that, and it both cracked me up and delighted me. I was really psyched to hear that. So let's take a wedding question. Pat wants to know. Can you ask for gift cards and money for wedding gifts if you are wanting to buy a house? We have a pretty quick answer for you, Pat. Yes, you can. Um, You just want to spread the word and remember to register for some gifts because some people really do like to give an actual gift at a wedding. Um, It's just their personal style. So register for stuff you really want. Register for stuff that would be, you know, fairly easy. Maybe it's a set of sheets. Maybe it's, you know, a nice vase or a beautiful bowl, something like that, that you know you'll use regardless of how you wind up decorating your house or regardless of what house you move into. But it is we've seen people do it a lot when they have destination weddings. They register for gift cards. Um, We see people register for it when they are moving, like having the wedding in one location and then they're moving 
to another town very shortly after the wedding. That way they can basically just bring gift cards down with them and purchase stuff in their new town and not have to worry about shipping a bunch of things. So, yeah, yes, you absolutely can. So the, the, and the idea here with, with that registry is to pick a range of gifts because you don't want to be appearing to give too much direction to other people about what they're going to give you. So you want to give them some options. You want to have some, some low range or some, some options on the low end of the range and some options on the medium and high end also. So, so if you do register for gift cards, just remember to select different varying amounts or select a service that allows people to choose their own amount. Good tip and congratulations. Good luck with the rest of the planning. Okay. This is from an anonymous listener, but she writes, My sister-in-law takes pictures at family events, but she always gets me in a position when my mouth is full. I would like to smile, but I can't. How can I handle this situation? I'm going to suggest that when she comes by with the camera, you just hold your hand up in that universal finger in the air, wait a second, please. And if if you get that finger in front of your face between the camera and you, (laughs) it's going to be a pretty clear sign. And and that picture is is probably going to be held. Um, You can also put your hand in front of your mouth just to to show that you're still chewing a little something. (laughs) Um, And then even if the picture does get taken, you're covered. Um, But most likely she's not going to want to take the picture. And. She's going to wait just a second till you finish and give her that flashing, winning smile that we know you're so famous <laughs> and for. And i got to say, the people <laughs> around you should be encouraging her to wait, too. I mean, I've never been a part of a group photo where, where the other people in the photo are like, oh, yeah, just take it. She's chewing still. It'll be great. Although, don't turn into my father and sit there. Okay, everybody smile. All right. All right. I'm about to take the picture. Okay, the picture's <laughs> coming any second now. It, it, in some ways, there's a certain mercy to taking a picture quickly, quickly. And, and letting people move on. But definitely... If you yeah. see that universal gesture, photographers the out up, there. The finger up, yeah. So we hope that that helps, and hopefully you'll have some good good pictures this holiday season. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, We here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S. 
to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question has to do with timeliness. Anonymous writes, my best friend is almost never on time. This is especially frustrating when I cut into my work time for a coffee date and end up waiting for 30 minutes, then feel that I am the one who is rude when I need to get going after a short while. The wait also puts me in a bad mood, which has a negative effect on our conversation. I have tried being clear about the window of time I'm available, but that doesn't seem to be enough to get her out of the door on time. Is there a way to address this, or should I stop scheduling dates with her? So with this kind of a thing, we all deal with this from time to time. And this used to be something that would get me really riled up. And now I don't even flinch at it because I've learned to start thinking about what I can control. Mm-hmm. So things that things that you could possibly control in this situation are to not schedule time with her when you're at work. So don't try to schedule it when you have something else coming up afterwards. Um, You know, plan for the weekend or a night after work when you don't have anything going on. Um, It helps remove the pressure. Mm -hmm. And so you can probably relax into if she's going to be late, she's going to be if if she's just consistently. There are some people who they run half an hour behind no matter what. And either you can plan on that and know that when you say come over at eight, she'll probably come over at 830 or know that when you plan a reservation at a restaurant you can tell her eight but you can book it for 8 30 mm-hmm. and nine times out of ten i bet she'll show up at that 8 30 and every now and again she'll show up at eight and go oh what's going on but that's okay but i would also um think about in your own head how can you turn this positive for yourself um i used to know someone who was chronically late and i would just be like you know what this just gave me an extra hour to do the dishes Or it just gave me time to play Frisbee with Benny. Mm -hmm. Or it gave me more time to get ready. It was like, you know, I found ways to make it work for me rather than against me. And I think that that really, really helped me out. But I also think you could talk to her about it. Like, what would you say? You know, it's it, I, I love the way you started the question talking about what's in your control, because so in so many ways, being late is controlling behavior. And it is something that that if it happens chronically and keeps happening is something that you might want to address to save the relationship or for the sake of the friendship. So how would you address it? Like, what would you say? Ooh, carefully. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would I would say, you know, there's something I want to talk to you about that, that I've noticed and it's starting to impact our relationship or the way that I plan to get together with you. And you talk about your concerns. You you talk about how it's impacting or affecting you that when we make a date and I've got a half hour and you're not there till 20 minutes after the time we agreed, then I only have 10 minutes to to spend with you. And I'm worried about what I'm going to do next. And I feel like we're short on time and then I can't enjoy myself as much. And I'd love to figure out a way that we can plan to meet at times when we can both be there on time or when it's not going to matter if you're half when it's not going to matter. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our next question is in regards to thank you notes when a birthday and Christmas are close together. Stacy writes, my daughter's birthday is in November with Christmas being in the next month. Is it okay to combine a thank you note for a birthday and a Christmas gift into one card? My daughter just now turned one, so the card writing is up to me for now. Along the same lines, would it be okay to defer the thank you cards until she's at the appropriate age to write her own <laughs> with letting a verbal thank you suffice? I'm thinking mostly of grandparents that we consider that we would consider for this verbal thank you. I am enjoying the podcast, but almost hate to listen as I know I'll have to wait a week to hear a new one. Oh, I like that. She's so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Although you might not like our answer, Stacey, you definitely need to write a thank you note for each and you can't defer for a number of years until she's old enough to write her own. I'm sorry, but that's just not okay. (laughs) In the world of etiquette. Particularly the splitting of the the, the birthday and the Christmas card. We've talked about the baby dispensation on the thank you note. Some people People do the really sweet handprint or have the have the the child when they can even just scribble something. <laughs> you hold the pen yeah. in, in their hand and scribble something on a note that you wrote. But um, just because someone has the great uh, misfortune of having their birthday close to a major holiday, Who we don't we don't want a short circuit their, <laughs> their their full celebration and experience of that birthday. You definitely want to honor it and, and treat them as separate events. Well, you want to treat them as separate events, but you also want to treat the person giving gifts. Uh, You want to respect the separate events. So, for instance, I don't want to wait until Christmas when she receives her Christmas gift to receive my thank you note for Mm -hmm. a gift I sent in November. I'm going to be wondering all November, did she get the gift or not? Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's actually really important that you, you send those thank you notes promptly. That way people do know that the gift was received and appreciated. Um, and that's something that you can you can teach her as she's growing up, and it's going to be a great skill that she has and has internalized. Mm-hmm. And then she's done for like the rest of the year. Shoo! <laughs> like, think about it: November and, and and December, the only time she really has to write them. Maybe a graduation gift every now and again. But well, well, there's a silver lining, and, and, and hopefully that that lasts till next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Judy has a question about hostess gifts when you aren't visiting someone's home. My husband and I are invited to dinner at a restaurant, Mexican and very casual, owned by the parents of our son's girlfriend. What, if anything, would be appropriate to bring? I have met the stepmom only once at Costco. The dad and I have seen each other on a few occasions, so they are not close acquaintances. Thank you. Oh, I'd suggest bringing something like flowers. You know, it's a nice idea. Dining at a restaurant, I think bringing food would be a bit strange. Like Mm -hmm. typically we say, you know, bring some bread, bring a bottle of wine, bring a box of chocolates, but. You're at their restaurant. Mm-hmm. They're going to have food. They probably really they they've invited you there. So I say bring flowers in a vase. Um, th- those are always you know a sign of of friendliness and welcome and goodwill. Um, a bouquet would also work just fine. Cut flowers are so nice, and I, I like how you mentioned bringing a little vase, particularly if you're going somewhere where there might not be something obvious or, or right at hand. Although at a restaurant, they're probably going to have something to put flowers. Yeah. And in. also yeah. at a restaurant, I could also see it because you're not going to someone's home. I could see a bouquet without the vase being. Like some people worry about not bringing a vase. The idea behind it is that you create more work for your hostess if you bring a bouquet that they then have to put into a vase. Mm-hmm. But I think that in this circumstance, because they're at a restaurant, they're going to be bringing the flowers home, mm-hmm. that it, it would be okay to bring a bouquet, and that mm-hmm. would be just fine. But enjoy. I hope it's a wonderful dinner. <laughs> Indeed. 
Our next question comes from Law, and she writes, A shower is planned, and there has been a death in the family. The party is being canceled. What do we do about the gifts? I'm sorry to hear that, and I'd like to start by offering condolences. Um, This could be a tricky situation. There's also a bit of an opportunity here. I don't think you need to cancel the shower completely. You definitely want to think about postponing it, putting it off for a later date. But uh, these these types of uh, celebratory gatherings can be real opportunities for families to get together when there's been when there's been a death in the family, when when people are experiencing loss and are grieving. Um, it can really be helpful to be in the company of others. Well, it's and, such a great reminder that life does go on. New life mm-hmm. is being created. And Ooh. the bonds that you have as a family are what keep you going when you've lost someone really important to you. And I mean, I actually think this is such a great opportunity for this family to take a little bit of time. You know, showers don't have to be before the baby's born. So if you're worried mm-hmm. about that, you point. can postpone it till after the birth. It's a really good point. Um, but this would be a great way for your family to get together and celebrate and just have people hold off on their gifts that, you know. If they've sent them, you can always wait. Typically, you don't send gifts to a shower, but if anybody has, you can just wait to open them when you actually have the the mm-hmm. event. And definitely get get word to people as soon as possible yes, about the absolutely. reschedule, and and make that part of the message when you when you let people know that it has been postponed. Maybe um, use the language of postponed instead of canceled. We hope that you have a wonderful shower, and we are truly sorry for your loss. But again, we're we're glad you have the opportunity to celebrate such a wonderful thing as as a new baby coming into your family. Okay, next question. Pamela wrote with a couple of questions, so we're going to take this one in two parts. First, Pamela asks, I'm particularly interested in how to eat spaghetti and cut food. My mother is English, and she taught us manners based on how she was raised. But I have always noticed a difference in the way I was taught to cut my food and the way my friends do it. I'm guessing that what I'm seeing are inherent cultural differences. Should I toss out what I learned as a child in the English way and use instead what I see now as the American way? Or perhaps it is living and socializing in San Francisco that has tainted my social skills. (laughs) I'm not sure if they're tainted from living in San Francisco, although your mother might think they are. But no, I think you most certainly do not have to switch to an American style of eating. I think as long as your style won't gross others out at the table, meaning you use your fork, you chew with your mouth closed, you don't grip your fork and knife strangely, that you're going to be doing the right thing. This is such a classic dining etiquette table manners question. Is the American or continental style of dining appropriate? And um, what I'm guessing is that you're talking about the continental style where people cut their food with their knife in their right hand, fork in their left, and after Mm -hmm. they've cut their bite, they take the bite or you take your bite with your fork staying in your left hand as you bring it to your mouth. Mm -hmm. In the American style, after you've cut your food, fork in left hand, knife in right, and you set your knife down, the fork is transitioned from the left hand to the right hand, and then the right hand brings the fork to your mouth. This is what Emily called zigzagging exactly and it's it's um you know either style is entirely appropriate and acceptable you're going to get away with either i really prefer the continental style personally i find it so much simpler and easier but here in america the american style is is used broadly and you're definitely safe in in either camp now when it comes to that spaghetti um i personally we recommend twirling it you know you basically use the tines of your fork to grab a few of those long strands and Mm -hmm. then twirl them against the 
the plate, either the side or the bottom of the plate, and then you've kind of got a nice little bundle that's a, a bite. bite. <laughs> Cutting your spaghetti is just not something that's that's really considered appropriate in a lot of ways. It it does give an air of of like. I don't know, being infantile, a little or childish, like perhaps a little childish, and I hate to I hate to say that for anyone that does, but it's true. Just the same way, if you cut all of your food up at once, you kind of have this massive plate of like cut, perfectly bite sized food, and it, there is. It, you're not participating as much in the art of crafting a bite and, and using your, <laughs> t- your your utensils with skill and facility. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, it is. It, it just it, it kind of yeah. It kind of is what we do for toddlers. So as adults, we try not mm-hmm. to do that as much. And, and there's no prohibition against using your spoon to twirl your spaghetti. You you no. can do that. At the same time, it, again, simplicity and ease, practicality being the heart of good manners. I really find that just using a fork to twirl yeah, it on the plate or the, the edge of the, of the dish plate really works well. Um, so, so anyway, that's our advice on spaghetti. We do have a wonderful video of my sister twirling spaghetti and showing the, the right and wrong way to do it. <laughs> um, and you can find that on our YouTube channel, Emily Post Productions. Um, Pamela's second question was that she has heard us say several times that there are, there are magic words. Please, uh, thank you. And her new favorite is, you'll have to excuse me, but, um, which is more <laughs> like a magic sentence. The, the magic words there being excuse me but what are the other magic words dan the, the only other one that i would add to this list is pardon me I, I like to think of please thank you you're welcome excuse me pardon me and i'm sorry so three. so there are actually three that we added to the list because pamela only knew about please and thank you and the excuse me and you've got pardon me you're welcome and i'm sorry yes yeah. I, I think of it as a, a sort of a, i have a little list of six yeah. in my head and i find them they're so useful and they really are magic they they get you out of all kinds of difficult situations they make all kinds of situations you find yourself better. in better and yeah. um, i think this is a great question based on the intro for today's show where we were talking about the please. importance of please <laughs> um but that 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 the sincerity, the way that you deliver magic words is so important. All of the magic words, not just please. And when we're teaching our children's program, it's one of my favorite things to say. It's not the words that are magic. The magic really is in you. And um, keep using those magic words. Keep bringing them, bringing them out. Bring, bring the magic to the words. <laughs> bring the magic to the words. Abracadabra. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Pamela. We hope that answers both of your questions. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Well, thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. You can submit your question to Awesome Etiquette at emilypost.com. You can also send them in via Facebook and Twitter. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. We got a great question from Chris that we thought would actually be an awesome segment for the show. And he wrote to us about what to do when you're from one culture, but you're dining or in the country of another culture. Which culture's etiquette do you defer to so that everyone can feel comfortable? Because what's done in one culture that you've grown up in might not be okay in the culture that you're dining in. And so how do you know which takes precedent? 
And it's such a phenomenal question, and it really speaks to how small the world is getting. And this situation is popping up more and more often. Sometimes you'll even have the the further complication of someone from one culture trying a cuisine from another culture in a third country (laughs) that has a completely different set of standards, um, as as often happens here in the States, but happens all over the world. So what do you do? So I I like to think about a couple different things. First of all, you want to remind yourself, because this is a tricky situation, that ultimately what matters is caring for the people around you, connecting with the people that you're dining with, and that etiquette isn't about excluding people or setting up barriers between them. It really is just meant to give us cues so that we have some basic expectations of each other to get through a meal. So you never need to worry too much. Oh, if I do this wrong, are there going to be dire consequences? <laughs> this is these are These are table manners. So I think it's important to take a deep breath and remember that that um, this isn't a life or death situation. It's important to eat, but it's really important to keep the focus on the people that you're with. Once you've got that calm state of mind, which I think is a good first step, you want to ask yourself two questions. You want to ask yourself, um, how is the individual being affected? And culturally, how are you responding to a tradition or a culture? So it's important to respect the individual. You don't ever want to, to put anyone in a situation where they're really uncomfortable or working outside their frame of reference or their knowledge. So maybe you're eating in another country and you really don't know what to do. I think you've got a little bit of latitude there because you just don't know. And people are going to cut you a little bit of slack. And I think it's important to, to cut against that slack. Would you ask if you didn't know? Would you say, I know yes. <laughs> this is what we would do in my, in my country or at my dinner table, but I'd, I'd love to know what's expected here? Y- yes. And I think that's where you start to look at it from the other direction. As an individual, you have a responsibility to respect tradition and culture. And you have to do a little bit of work ahead of time before you try a new cuisine or particularly before you visit visit a new country. You want to do a little bit of research about the situation or the scenario that you find yourself in. It's not always going to be possible. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in water that's a little deeper than you expect or in a context that's out of your control. And when that happens, I, I want that individual to have the, the latitude to be cut the slack. At the same time, I, I don't want that I don't want the individual to walk around saying, well, this is the way I do it and everybody else can get used to it and adjust. Right. There is some real responsibility on the individual. So those are two perspectives that I think are important to keep in mind in terms of the mechanics of a given situation. Yeah. I say to myself, who's the host? <laughs> and if I'm the guest, I'm looking to the host for cues. I'm going to follow their lead first. I'm going to watch what they do and try to mimic it. If I have a question, I'm going to ask the host the question. They're the person I'm going to going to look for cues for. And if they're a good host, they're going to help me out. They're going to enjoy sharing a particular tradition or way of eating. Um, have you ever because you've actually often been over in um, many Asian countries where the dining is so incredibly different from our Western American culture. Have you ever experienced this where you just really didn't know what to do? Again and again and again. <laughs> and, and every time I find myself in a new situation, I'm asking questions. I'm, I'm letting my curiosity lead the way. And I have the good fortune of working in the etiquette business. So I get to say, you know, I've always been so curious. What, what are table manners like in Korea? Talk to me about the really important things. Talk yeah. to me about the things that have symbolic significance or just the little details that, that someone would learn as a child here that I might not know coming from America. And and those are some of my favorite discussions or conversations. The last time I was in Korea, a question came up about people from Korea being hosted in the States and their hosts in the States making an effort to 
to, to present them with things that were, were intended to be comforting, but they take someone from Korea out to a Chinese restaurant and <laughs> think because that because there's Asian chopsticks food, yeah. or that, 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 that somehow that's going to work. And it, that, that showed a real lack of sensitivity, a real lack of awareness. So I think it's important to really pay attention <laughs> to, to, to how you navigate these cultural questions because there are um, – there are some real stakes involved here. You, you want to show respect and you want to show respect to, to the autonomy of the individual as well as to the culture or tradition that, that they, they come, come from. from. Yeah. So I, I, I like the, the thoughtfulness of the question and, um, and it is tricky, but it's also it's that trickiness shouldn't make you feel uncomfortable <laughs> that, that these are real opportunities to build bridges, to grow relationships and to try new things. So I say, don't avoid the situation, but, but approach it with some care and you should be in good shape. And I'd love to hear our readers or our listeners thoughts about this question as well, because um, the world is going to keep getting smaller <laughs> and boy, it's a treat to try other cuisines. <laughs> Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. Should we do a quick little etiquette salute to Jane Lindholm? I think we should. I think that's a really she important says, so thing. We're, we're cutting in with a little <laughs> etiquette salute. Jane is a wonderful um, host and on-air talent here at Vermont Public Radio. And uh, she saw us sitting in the lobby this morning. She saw sitting in the lobby this morning. There was a little bit of a mix-up and we wound up without a sound engineer today. And she came into her studio and got us set up and rolling. And we could not be more grateful. So, Jane, thank you for being aware of the people around you and having the kindness to help them out. <laughs> exactly. Once again. And thank you so much to everyone here at VPR. You're such remarkable hosts for this podcast. We appreciate you so much and couldn't do it without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week. And remember, we love to hear from you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. If you like what you hear, you can always subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig us, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. We want to connect with you any way that we can. Wait, is that stalkers? Maybe. <laughs> we don't want to creep you out, but we do want to invite you to participate. You can find us on Facebook. We're the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I am at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. And as always, we are so grateful for our theme music, which was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. 